Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. I am so happy to be back. I'm feeling so much better. I'm not in as much pain with the broken clavicle. The doctor said once it starts you know, stitching together, then I wouldn't feel as much pain. Still hurts, but at least I can move around a little bit. Um, I can use my right hand a little bit as long as I'm careful. So that is making a ton of difference. I'm able to do a little, a few things around the house as long as I don't overdo it. So I want to say thank you to everybody. I, I cannot express my appreciation enough. Thank you for listening and supporting this passion project of mine. Uh, I really love doing this. I really love sharing books. I'm really passionate about beer and wine, uh, especially craft beers. So I, I love sharing this with everybody. So again, just thank you everyone so much for, uh, for listening and the support. Thank you to those who have donated it is so helpful to me since this is a hobby podcast and I'm paying for everything out of my own pocket. So um, any little donation goes a long way. I've gotten some incredible feedback, so I'll be changing things up a little bit here and there just with the feedback I've gotten. I've also gotten some great feedback on audio. So <laughs> if you can, please donate because uh, that's something also that is going to cost some money to to update, um, but hopefully we can work on the audio and get that a little bit better here. So since we are um, coming up on the end of summer here, depending on what you think the end of summer is, uh, it's a, well, today is the first day of September. Tomorrow when this releases will be September 2nd. So I really wanted to um, pick a kind of summer wine just to kind of say goodbye to summer for me. And that was the Matua Sauvignon Blanc. And I love this Sauvignon Blanc. I think it was probably like around um, six years ago, maybe, that I started getting into Sauvignon Blancs. And and I just loved the flavor. So I, I tried a bunch of different bottles, a, different, a bunch of different um, regions, distributors, that kind of thing. And this has been one that has stood out and stood kind of the test of time for me. And it's really reasonably priced. It's right around $9. And it's from the Marlborough region of New Zealand, which a lot of Sauvignon Blancs come of, come out of that region. Um, but this is one of my top. Uh, Bogle is also a really good one that comes out of, I believe, the same region. That's also one of my tops and right around same same price range too. It's just got such a clean, crisp, bright flavor. Uh, you know, just tastes perfect when you're sitting outside and uh, need a, a cool glass of something. Deliciously flavorful. It really, it's so, it's got a little citrus. It's also just um, kind of a little bit like apple-y if you think about um, like a Granny Smith apple. That's that's a comparison I would give it like that. When you bite into a crisp Granny Smith apple, that's that same flavor. It's it's a little bit dry, so it's got that, um, it's not as sweet like a Granny Smith apple. So dry with a little bit sweeter of a finish. It's, it's one you definitely want to chill, but be careful not to chill it too cool because you really want to have those beautiful flavors coming out when you're enjoying it. If you get it too cold, you can't 
enjoy those flavors the same way. So I know I usually say that uh, red wine's great for thrillers. This one just needed something a little bit brighter. Uh, and maybe it's just because of the author, Dorothy Coombson. Uh, I absolutely love her, but her books, for some reason, too, always make me think of summer and youth and feel a little refreshing, too. So so Dorothy Coombson is the author of Tell Me Your Secret, which we're talking about today. And like I said last week, she is the best-selling Black author in the UK. And I actually didn't know that, which is um, interesting because usually when I think when people are best-selling like that, they get a lot more press. And I don't I don't think I've seen as many things from Dorothy Coombson around. It's something I kind of stumbled, stumbled upon accidentally. She's an author I kind of stumbled upon just, um, you know, in the clearance section and thought, hey, I'll give this a try. So interesting that she's one of the top or is the best-selling Black author in the UK. Uh, there's some great thrillers out of, coming out of the UK right now. Uh, it's gotten, just thrillers have been having a high moment right now. And Dorothy Coombson's are, are no exception. They're, they're all really great thrillers. So Dorothy Coombson is, again, an author that I've kind of had an attachment to for a long time because I love her books. They're always so interesting and I've I've enjoyed every one of them that I've read. So I love that there's some connections that she and I have. Um, she wrote her first novel at 13 years old. And while my first novel didn't get written until much later, uh, I love that she was writing at that young age. And I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote when I was younger and just it was hard to stop me. That was between reading and writing those. That's pretty much what I was doing all the time, <laughs> reading, writing, and sleeping. <laughs> she also started her career as a journalist because those of us who want to be writers are constantly told you need to figure out how to make money. And there's just so many great writers out there that, you know, how are you going to write a book and sell it and make enough money to make a living? So a lot of a lot of writers start out as journalists and I, that's what I got my degree in is journalism. So I love that she started her career that way as well. Uh, she, her first book was published in 2003 and uh, she's been writing ever since her, her, I believe her most recent was released last summer. Uh, she's from the UK. She's from England, but she spent two years living in Australia. So I love that too great different perspectives that way. Anytime you're, you're traveling, you're learning new things. I think that always gives writers more inspiration, more to, of their life experience to write off of. She is back in England. She's now in the Brighton area where the book is set. So a lot of her books now are kind of like set in that Brighton area because she loves it so much. She's written a total of 16 books, which is wonderful, and I'm sure they're all fabulous. I haven't read all of them, <laughs> uh, but some of my favorites are Marshmallows for Breakfast and Goodnight Beautiful. So after reading this now, I just want to go on a Dorothy Coombson kick and read a bunch of her books, which I will probably pick up. <laughs> I'll probably pick up Goodnight Beautiful because I, I love that one. Uh, she kind of did like the switch, though, from from like women's fiction to thrillers. So her earlier ones like Marshmallows for Breakfast and Goodnight Beautiful, they're more 
again, like a women's fiction or, or maybe drama category. Sometimes they involve crimes, but it's not, it's not in the way like the thrillers do. So um, this one specifically, Tell Me Your Secret, is a story told by detective investigator Jody, and she's trying to solve a series of rapes and murders. And then alternately, uh, Pieta, who was a survivor of the perpetrator. So it kind of goes back and forth between Jody and Pieta telling the story from their perspectives. So again, that's one of the reasons that I love Dorothy Coombson is she writes characters that are always relatable. They're always characters that you enjoy. Um, she allows kind of that personality to blossom, to bloom. Uh, I, I envision like a flower blooming the way that she slowly exposes her characters and their personalities and who they are. So I really love uh, that strength in her. For this book in particular, there wasn't a ton of character development. So, you know, character development is kind of, you know, described as they've learned something or changed in some significant way from the beginning to the end of the book. And I don't think there was really much, if any, character development. I, I guess a little bit. But I also don't know how much character development is needed in a book like this, in a, th in a thriller. I think some a little bit, but it's really more plot-driven than character-driven. More, It's more so important in a, in a character-driven book that the protagonist is driving the story and they're learning something and changing along the way. <laughs> so it, it comes and does write great characters. Uh, I just felt like in this book, and now I kind of, again, want to go back as I'm reading Goodnight Beautiful or Marshmallows for Breakfast, look more at her, her characters a little more in depth because in this one, they're a little too book perfect as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love them. Uh, I love how she creates them. They're just too perfect. So like the men are, are talking about their feelings in such a the perspective and intellectual way. And the women are so strong and just a little bit vulnerable, just vulnerable enough that they're not victimized or they're not victims. <laughs> so if you like this, and I, I talked about this in another podcast, um, if you like this, this, I mean, totally great. But there has been a shift from those perfect book characters to more of the unreliable narr narrator and less likable characters. And I, I love, I do love books like that, where um, you don't always have to love the character to enjoy the book. Some And some people do. Some people will give bad reviews because they will say like there was nothing redeeming about any of the characters. But I also think that's so much more real that we as humans are, you know, you don't always see the best in us either. Everybody's got that balance of the dark and light. And those characters that sometimes can be unlikable is more real. People are, people are very selfish. That's a, that's really natural. So, so going back to books that are where the characters are 
kind of perfect. It's like, oh yeah, this isn't the world that we live in. So uh, again, I, I still think it's a great book and I still enjoyed the characters. Just be aware that, you know, they're, they're pretty perfect people. <laughs> uh, as far as the plot goes, it plays out really well. So there's some things that are cliche and um, predictable, but I think when you've read as many thrillers as I have, that some things just, it's naturally going to be cliche and predictable. There are just some things that, you know, you, you understand or you get to follow or you learn to follow because you've read so many thrillers. And kind of with her storylines too, uh, the way she does with her characters, uh, she slowly, you know, blooms, opens that flower, uh, reveals the plot line in such a compelling way to keep the reader interested. So it's definitely more of one of like the page turners than um, some of the, some of the thrillers I've read recently. It's, it's not as much of that slow burn grabbed me right off the bat with the suspense um, in the prologue and then goes into Pieta right away. And, you know, I just love Pieta right away. It, you know, lots of things in common, single mom to a boy right around the same age. So I, I immediately liked her. Uh, with Jody, she uses a little bit different technique, which is called the fourth wall. So if you haven't heard of that term, the fourth wall is when the characters break character to speak directly to the audience um, or the reader. And you see this a lot more in comedy. It, it really is used as almost like a comedic device in a lot of comedy. So I thought it was interesting that Coombson used it in a thriller because I don't know if I've ever read that in a thriller. It wasn't, it was done really well, but I just, the question that I had and kept coming up in my mind as I was reading is, was it necessary? And I don't really know if it was necessary. It definitely adds that additional layer of depth to the writing, which again, I think is something that Coombson is really good at. It, she also brings up a lot, um, speaking of depth, there's also a lot of depth in the various themes that are played out in the um, thriller. One of the big themes that is there from beginning to end is um, people not believing the victims. So whether it's family, friends, police, that comes up a lot and is acknowledged that people don't always believe when someone has been um, victimized especially people who are living a high risk lifestyle or maybe living a lifestyle that someone doesn't agree with. There's a lot more judgment that way that maybe they were, um, I don't know, asking for it or partially responsible because of the way they live their life. And that's a really unfair assessment and really unfair judgment. And I think that's something that, that definitely needs to change. There's been a lot of conversation uh, around, um, like victim blaming, I know, it, especially with victims of like uh, sexual assault, a lot of times it's he, he said, she said. So there's maybe not enough of an avenue for um, prosecution. I think that needs to be changed. But I also think the way we handle um, the survivors of uh, sexual assault, that we really need to 
to adjust the way that we're handling those things. A belief is, is a huge one. Again, whether it's friends, family, police, it, it's hard enough to go through something like that. But then to share it, it, it you're, um, you're almost re-victimizing yourself by bringing it up again. So talking about it is it, such a hard thing to do. So people that are sharing that experience should be believed because it, they're taking so much of a risk within their personal self and within their mental health to talk about something like that. Which mental health, I think, di- directly relates to um, survivors of the sexual assaults as well, or um, situations like this. There, it's obvious, and I'll I'll say this a lot too that our, our mental health and support for for mental health is embarrassing in our country. It is horrible. <laughs> we need to do so much better on that. But especially with survivors of traumatic situations, uh, we need to do better for people with um, mental health issues, make it more um, accessible, make it more easy. It, you know, I'm also dealing with somebody that I went to school with who is asking for support, asking for help with his mental health and just not getting it and not knowing where to go. And to me, that's just completely unacceptable. <laughs> so I I could rant about that for a long time. So I won't subject you to that, but I do think it's really important to talk about, to mention and to work on, to make better. Uh, another theme that uh, Coombson touches on, of course, she herself is black uh, Jody's black in the uh, as a character in the book, and so she talks about not wanting to be labeled by her work colleagues as the angry black woman. So she really has to think about how she holds herself and how she reacts to things. So she can't really be herself because of some of these stereotypes and and thoughts that currently exist, uh, which again really represents how racism is still so present and such a big issue today, both blatant racism, because there's several situations in the novel um, where there is blatant racism, but also some of that less obvious uh, racism as well. Like Jody feeling like she needs to hold herself back and change who she is so she doesn't get labeled with a stereotype. Again, stereotypes are are horrible and we need to get rid of them altogether. Uh, another big theme in, in the book is uh, themes of forgiveness. So both forgiveness of others and yourself. I love the way that she writes about forgiving others. And there's some really great points that she makes. And I, I won't give it away at all, but I love how she, she rolls that out and talks about that and has the characters discussing it that, that really helps. And um, like we talked about with reading Lolita in Tehran, Nafisi talks about how, or I talk about too, how we're using the book to, as a lens for ourselves. And I think this is one good thing about this book too, is that, you know, that forgiveness of others, it's a great way of looking at things and kind of thinking about internally what that forgiveness means for you and how you can incorporate that into your life. I don't think 
she did the forgiveness of yourself as well as other themes that I've seen her do. So, um, with kind of the themes that we're talking about. So, so the sexual assault, um, I think she really laid that out in, in a way that's thoughtful about not believing the victims, making sure that we have support for victims and survivors, excuse me. So I think she does that so well. Also the racism, she, she touches on some blatant racism, but there's also a lot of underlying themes of how racism can affect um, people, women, especially. But she just, I feel like she missed out on this opportunity too, because I've seen her do it so well. And I think there was such a great opportunity there to, to talk about the forgiveness of yourself. She, she, it happens a little bit. It's touched on a little bit, but it, it just could have been so different and just as well. Maybe I'm asking too much because she did the other, I, I felt the other themes were done really well. Maybe I'm, I'm asking too much for this to be incorporated, but she interwove that forgiveness piece. So I would have liked to see that done a little bit better. Also, as far as the plot goes, just the action at the end was a little too cliche for me. Kind of that battle of the good versus evil that often happens at the end of the thrillers. I was just disappointed because it was, it just gets too cliche. And again, maybe just, maybe it's just because I've read so many thrillers that I felt a little disappointed. I don't know. It's just the, that, that end conflict seems, I don't know, a little contrived and just a little too common. So at the end of the day, I thought it was, it, it was a good book. I really enjoyed it. Um, she does, she's got some great twists and turns. There's a little predictability, but there's not total predictability. There's some things you're going to guess pretty quickly, but I think that was intentional. And some other things that you're like, holy crap, I did not see that coming. <laughs> so for me, overall, it was a 3.5. <laughs> which was interesting because not only is she one of my favorite authors, but Goodreads also gave it a 4.25. So they rated it higher than me. And I, I looked at some of the reviews and there was, I mean, I'm thinking there's three things happening here. So, so one, I think she is such a great author and I think she's a better author than this book. Two, uh, I've read so many thrillers that I'm, just expecting more in general. I want more from my thrillers. And three, I think it's um, it's extremely possible too that because now since I've started doing this podcast, I'm reading in a different way and I'm looking at some specific things to talk about and take notes on. And now that I'm thinking about it more, I think that that changes kind of how I'm reading and how I'm judging books. So it was... It really was just a little, you know, underwhelming for me. But again, I'm just holding uh, Dorothy Coombson to such a high standard that I just didn't feel this was up to par with her usual writing. Hey, nobody's perfect, right? <laughs> so again, thank you so much for joining this uh, episode. You can find me on Twitter at Don't Read Drunk, Instagram at Don't Read Drunk, email me at Don't Read Drunk at gmail.com. 
or website at don'treaddrunk.buzzsprout.com. Thank you again to those of you who have donated. Again, every little bit helps. Hopefully we'll get working on the sound quality here and um, any donations will definitely help with that piece of it too. So you can do a one-time donation through PayPal with my email at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. Again, with that and all of the other online items, there is no apostrophe in the don't. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don't read drunk. And I want to thank my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Tell Sun Up, who created the music. Extremely, extremely talented guy. Aaron, you're one of my favorite people. Love you and love the music. Thank you. You can find One Up Tell Sun Up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, it's number one, U-P-T-I-L Sun Up. Also, Avenue Coffee, who um, I have not seen them for a while and miss. Uh, now that I'm feeling a little better, hopefully I can pop down there soon and get some English breakfast tea. You can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. Next episode, we will be talking about Murder in the Bayou, Who Killed the Jeff Davis Eight by Ethan Brown. And um, this, if you remember last episode, I did talk about this book as a noteworthy book. And as I continued to read more, I was like, oh, this, I do just want to talk about this. There's so many great things to talk about in this book um, that I'm going to do a full episode on it. So we'll be talking about it um, next week. It's a true crime novel about eight women, all with high risk lifestyles. Um, and they were all murdered. And these murders were mostly ignored. It's also about this just rampant police corruption in Louisiana. There was so much corruption in Louisiana around this time when this happened, and especially in Jefferson Davis Parish. And I, I'm that was an error from last episode. I said county, I believe. It's actually a parish. Louisiana is the only state in the United States instead of parish instead of counties, they have parishes. So I said county. Last week it's actually a parish. So we'll be talking about that next week. Thanks so much again for joining. Bye, and I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.